Welcome to the Turd Nerds. We are the functional gastroenterology podcast discussing all things poop. Before we take the plunge into today's episode, let us tell you a bit about ourselves. I'm Dr. Rebecca Sand, a naturopathic physician and acupuncturist, and I specialize in all things gastroenterology, hormones, and fertility. I'm Dr. Ami Kapadia, and I'm a medical doctor trained in family medicine and functional medicine with a special interest in gastrointestinal health, food and environmental allergies, and autoimmune disease. And I'm Dr. Alana Gurvich, a naturopathic physician and acupuncturist who is board certified in naturopathic gastroenterology. I specialize in inflammatory bowel disease, IBS, and other functional digestive disorders. Let's jump into today's episode. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and not intended to diagnose or treat any diseases or conditions. Please consult your doctor before incorporating any of this information into your care. The information presented on this podcast is not medical advice. We are so excited to dive into part two of SIBO. This is going to be the nuts and bolts of treatments. Um, this is, there are a lot of ways to treat. We know a lot of ways to treat based on data. We know uh, anecdotal information based on our experience using natural herbal remedies. There are There is some data using herbal remedies as well. And then there's just a lot of nuance to treating SIBO. And that's totally. kind of the thing about it. The individual aspect of the person. Okay, you didn't cover symptoms of hydrogen sulfide for our, <laughs> our last segment. <laughs> Do a quick, because now what I know from both of you for over the last year of asking questions, if there's a flat line on the standard SIBO test, which is more of what I've been ordering, and the person's very symptomatic, we can consider that they might have a hydrogen sulfide issue. And you both gave me some tips on like what symptoms they might have to go along with that. I feel like this is so controversial. I feel I like agree. people have very strong opinions about what hydrogen sulfide symptoms are, and none of them agree. Okay. So in my experience, I see um, an intolerance to sulfur-containing foods. So brassicas and eggs are usually the ones I'm asking about. Usually like liquid watery diarrhea, um, bloating, you know, the usual kind of SIBO picture. And then um, a lot of folks, I see urinary symptoms too, Um, kind of like burning, not UTIs. We've ruled that out, but they have on and off kind of urination issues. And more diarrhea than constipation. That is what the data shows. However, if you ask people who are in the trenches, they will say they also see hydrogen sulfide constipation. Yep. And I, I have, it's not as common, but it is, I have had positive tests. Okay. And then I also, you know, the question is how odorous is your gas? Right. Yep. Does how it smell much, like rotten eggs? Does it right. smell like sulfur? Okay. And so, okay, great. Those, I think those are the tips you had both given me. So great. We can move on. Cool. Um, okay. So why don't we start with standard treatment? Why don't we start with standard antibiotic treatment? You can pull this on today. You can pull this on Allison C. Becker's website, SIBO Info. Standard treatment for a hydrogen positive person is Zyfaxan or Rifaximin, um, 550 milligrams, three times a day for an adult for 14 days. So that's standard treatment. Uh, standard treatment for intestinal methanin and overgrowth is Zyfaxan, 550 milligrams, three times a day for 14 days, and either metronidazole or neomycin. Mm-hmm. If you look at the data, neomycin shows sli- slightly higher efficacy than uh, metronidazole. Metronidazole is probably 
has slightly less um, side effects. Neomycin does have the autotoxicity side effects. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, and I will say theoretically, we don't see autotoxicity or vestibular issues with neomycin at the doses that we're using it. However, anybody in the trenches is going to tell you that they have seen side effects from neomycin at the 500, uh, 500 milligram twice a day dose, including me. I don't love neomycin, but the data is exceptionally clear that neomycin plus zyfaxin is the best way to go for treating intestinal methanogen overgrowth. Okay, two questions. Do you have something to say for, for Well, I, I see a lot of nausea. It's more more absorbed um, than rifaximin, obviously. So I, I would just tell everyone you're probably going to be nauseous on neomycin, but I have seen autotoxicity um, from it. And typically in folks like our geriatric populations. Um, so I always ask before I start, have you, do you have any hearing loss already? Do you have tinnitus already? And those folks, I'm not giving neomycin. And in the cases you've seen, have that, have those side effects resolved or it's been permanent? Okay. Not necessarily. Okay. So two questions. So metronidazole, if it was going to be used, because I've looked at some older research on SIBO and it has been used for just hydrogen SIBO in the past. Is that accurate or no? Yes, and it's not as effective, right. and it has more side effects, including, you know, right. fungal candidiasis. Right. I don't love using it, but I'm going to tell you why I'm going down this line. Okay. So metronidazole, I think I, I do not like using. If I'm going to use something that needs metronidazole, I often use tinidazole, which I find much better tolerated, and it's the one antibiotic where I have patients tell me I felt better on this. This happens sometimes. It's been a handful of cases. Wow. And so my question is this. I was using tinidazole for a patient with uh, protozoa. This has happened like two or three times now. They felt amazing while they were on it and then symptoms came back. I typically don't see that as frequently with protozoa because I do an aggressive protocol. So now I'm thinking, was I treating SIBO or intestinal methanogen overgrowth with the tinidazole? Interesting. Could it potentially work for both? I don't know. You know what my answer is to that? Definitely, maybe. Yes. So I'm cur- I tried to do a, a lit search. I could not find information on using tinidazole for SIBO as far as like when it has been used in research, but there was um, a chart of a SIBO publication where they were giving all of the potential medications that they were using and it was metronidazole or tinidazole. Mm -hmm. So I would be curious if others were using that or have seen any. And when you're using it, you're doing just a three-day course? I'm doing my typical protozoal treatment is three days repeated two weeks later for three days just to be more aggressive with our chronically um, symptomatic patients. Okay. Um, also on the topic of medications, um, I think there is emerging data on nitazoxanide for SIBO. Is that specific so, for okay. methane? Great, great question. So there was one study uh-huh. on nitazoxanide uh, or Alinea yep. uh, that did show efficacy for SIBO. Yep. It had never been reproduced. Got it. It was industry funded, I think. Uh, got it. Uh, and I also think that I've seen it be effective. I know, same. I, I agree. Um, and I, we use that more for parasites. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an anti-parasodal, it's an anti-parasodal uh, agent. Is that pa- right? Paras- yeah. Anti-parasodal. Yeah. Anti-parasitic. Yeah. yeah. It does work on worms too. Yeah. Some worms. It's, it's pretty broad. It's pretty broad. I have seen it encourage fungus over. Oh, it's wow. It has been flaring fungus, especially if we do a more aggressive, so I'm not using the more aggressive protocols anymore. Yep. I've gone back to the sort of couple days of treatment. Um, and it does work on H. pylori. There was a study on that, I believe. So I, it does seem like it can work on some bacteria. Yeah. But it sorry, also has just recently gone generic, but interestingly, it's still not cheap. Huh. Uh, just like it just like within a last year went generic. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, I also wanted to talk about um, statin therapy. Oh, yeah. Talk about statin therapy. Well, I I was hoping you guys could help answer some questions. I mean, I can tell you. Here's okay. Let let me just let me just catch everybody up about what Rebecca's talking about. So uh, maybe 2017, 2018, Pimentel, who's the main researcher at the Mass Center out of Cedar sinai LA, was like hinting that he found that the aspergillus-based statins seem to be pretty effective at int- intestinal math- methanogen overgrowth. Yep. And he was in drug development for this um, enteric-coated, inte- only intestinally active statin that seemed to downregulate methanogens. Didn't it um, do something with the gas specifically? I think. <sighs> yeah, I don't remember. I can't remember. Um, but I do remember I had a couple patients that I put on those older older statins as a treatment, and I, I didn't have follow-up with them. So either they got better or, you know. I mean, shit. I think that I'm just stuck on the fact that he was starting phase three clinical trials. Right. And I haven't heard anything, and it's 2022. Yeah, we got to do so some digging on that. I feel like it actually might have just fizzled out and it but didn't show wasn't up. it supposed to be a version of it that wasn't systemically absorbed yes it, yes that so was that the, would be i mean it sounds really promising that was the if magic were, if like lovastatin or something folks, i can't remember now yeah it no, was lovastatin no was it a provastatin I, I think it was remember. Lovastatin. One of the older. It was one of the older ones, but the only the only folks I tried it in were people who were on statin therapy for that statin makes reasons. Sense. Yeah, that and then makes I sense. just switched them to the older. That's statin. smart to consider. Mm-hmm. And either it worked I, or I don't know. I wish I had data on that. I feel like I haven't heard anything about it, yeah. and it's this is data that I am uh, following. Yeah, and so I question if it showed up. Yeah, time. we'll see. So yeah. let's see. Okay, should we talk about go back to treat? Oh yeah, we you okay. are talking about treatment. So, so okay, so we start with the drugs. Those are your drug options, right? Lots of data, big big studies, lots of studies on vet- veterans. Um, you know, pretty much that's the treatment of choice. Yeah. Then we have our uh, herbal treatments, our herbal interventions, and you know these herbal interventions are a little bit more nuanced. Mm-hmm. There's like the interventions that came out of like the NUNM naturopathic college with the standardization of like Allison Seebecker and Stephen Sandberg Lewis. And um, we have that data that's available on like Allison Seebecker's website, seboinfo.com. And that is using berberine, neem, oregano, and then uh, some kind of pharmaceutical grade Allison, right? So that's one school of like treatment. Then there is the school of treatment that came out of John Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And that is, um, they actually did a clinical trial where they, it was not a huge trial, but it was, I think maybe 25, 30 patients with controls. And they compared intervention of using like canabactin AR, canabactin BR, and maybe one other thing um, to Zythaxan. And that actually showed efficacy better than Zythaxan. However, the thing about studies is you can make a study look at however you want it to look like. And they were using suboptimal doses of Zyfaxan mm-hmm. in as their control oh, group. Oh, interesting. And so it's a question of, so basically the take home is definitely it should, that, that protocol showed efficacy. It's expensive, but it showed efficacy, but not it, the control was a little bit washed out. And they weren't treating methane. They in were the only medication treating arm. just hydrogen positive mm-hmm. SIBO. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you tried using other forms of uh, garlic constituents that aren't necessarily the Allison if the patient doesn't have symptoms from garlic? Like the the regular, because there's high potency garlics out there that some of my patients have tried. And I'm just wondering if you've ever tried that. Most of my patients don't tolerate garlic okay. too much. So I think that would be a pretty small group. Can you explain this conversation about tolerating garlic and the Allison's? Uh, Extrapolate on that. Well, so 
a garlic's a FODMAP. And so the fibers in the whole garlic will flare people who have, I mean, in theory, people who have SIBO. Um, so Allison is super, super standardized to not mm-hmm. contain those fibers. Right. Okay. Um, which for me is why I tend to treat SIBO before CFO because the product that we love for treating CFO that mm-hmm. Alana, you and I have talked about contains a ton of garlic, right. but it's more whole garlic right. than, than a standardized Allison. Okay. That makes sense. And my patients just don't tolerate it if they have SIBO. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, but you know, here's the thing when we're talking about herbal interventions, we've got like the anecdotal, what everybody's using in the field and everybody's using this little, you know, this compilation of either the candobactins or the berberine and the neem and the Allison. Um, but you know, we kind of have to remember that herbal medicine is a, there's way more active constituents. Totally. B, if you're an herbalist and you've been treating dysbiosis forever, mm-hmm. just because there is no protocol or there isn't a study doesn't mean there is no efficacy. You know what I mean? And that's like, that's right. the thing that you always have to remember. And that's why I always want to like defer to like Chinese medicine herbalists mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, vitalist herbalists or Western herbalists, because if that's your training mm-hmm. and you understand the physiology of the human right. and the physiology of the herbs and how they work in conjunction, really, it could be much more magical than using our protocol. We just, it's not as convenient for like busy clinicians to say, oh, here's my protocol, protocol, protocol. Mm-hmm. Right. That That's true. I think also it's just interesting that just learning from my mentor, you know, who's been treating chronic complex patients for um, since the late 70s, the, the first two products he came out with in his line many, many years ago was Coptis and Neem. Those mm. were the, those are the, my two favorite antimicrobial herbs that I use, botanicals that I yeah. use with a lot of patients and have success with. So it's just, they do seem to work well. Um, I think brand matters sometimes for depending on the patient, what they're going to respond to. Um, and if there's fillers and such, but it's just interesting that we kind of came up with the same as what came out of the the college, you know? Uh, Yeah. And I mean, I, I also think that there's a reason why that those were the herbs that they started treatment on. Yeah. There's a ton of data on the berberine containing species. They have always been very heavily used in herbal medicine. Like it's all coming from right, the same, right. the same original source. Right. So they must have studied the same original source and came right. up with the same conclusions. And they do seem to work really well. Uh, anything else that we're missing about either herbal interventions or pharmaceuticals before we do elemental diet? I don't think so. I I think uh, well. Um, if you do have CFO, if you're looking at that too, I think you can kind of tweak it a little bit because some of those herbs work a little bit better on yeast. So that's something to consider. Um, and just what the patient's going to tolerate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had patients that can't tolerate berberine. It just causes too much nausea, even when taken with food. Um, and I've had people that can't tolerate oregano because it causes heartburn. Okay. I will also say that a while back, I pulled some data search on uh, like these herbs, neem, berberine, mm-hmm. garlic, and what was interesting to me is not only when I was looking at the mechanism of action was that was they, did they stress the antimicrobial aspect, but they actually, for a lot of these herbs, they actually heal intestinal Mm -hmm. permeability Mm -hmm. and heal up the mucous membrane as well. And so it has these two actions and it probably has a thousand other actions, but it has these two main actions that are both triggering the, what happens with the dysbiosis. And that's something that's really special about herbal medicine yeah. that uh, pharmaceuticals generally don't do some of them, but generally they, they don't where you're treating the overgrowth, but you're also treating the irritation that's caused by the overgrowth. Right. Which is why a lot of times we may have a preference. It, some of us may have a preference for botanicals because they're not just, we're not just killing something. We're also 
working on the person's immune modulation in different ways. Right. Um, I, and with berberine, just I'm curious your, your thoughts, but I have some concern over using it over extended periods of time. Just we, from, again, all of my naturopathic colleagues, it's cold forming in Chinese medicine. So depending on the person's constitution, they may do fine, but I tend to not like to use it for more than you know, six to eight weeks at a time. I mean, I will say that is one of the benefits of using it in conjunction mm -hmm. with neem or garlic. Both of those are warm. Okay. I don't know where Allison rates on the scale since it's so yeah. modified, but uh, neem is definitely a little bit of a neutral herb. Okay. Uh, I also will say that, you know, usually when we're treating SIBO, we do like this pulse back yeah. up, pulse back up. Right. And I don't worry about the pulse. And if they've got some kind of anatomic, like a lot of my patients have inflammatory bowel disease. Yeah. If they have some anatomical alteration. Right. They're going to need to stay on something. But then I just rotate the herbs. Yeah. Right. Because it's not like we have a limitation of herbs that we need to choose from. Right. So you'll just pick your own protocol to rotate that with. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we use berberine for a lot of other things. Like mm -hmm. I, I keep people on it. I don't do the berberine complex, but I'll do like straight berberine for, for and, yeah, yeah. cardiovascular conditions, metabolic um, and that seems to be fine. It's a slightly so. lower dose, but it's, you know, years potentially right, right. people are on it. Right. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay. So now let's talk about our third option. Our third option is elemental diet. Ah, uh, yes. Everyone's favorite. Everyone's favorite. I, <laughs> what I tell people is it's mean. It's really, really mean for me to put you on a liquid only diet mm. for a minimum of two weeks. Uh, it is by far the most effective. And expensive. And expensive. Yes. But you're, you're eating nothing, but yet you're spending a lot of money on it. Even if you make your own? Uh, I've never made my own, but I don't think it's cheap to make it. It okay. tastes bad. I mean, there are ways you yeah, can yeah. flavor it, yeah. but it's compliance. I would be very worried about compliance if people made it on their own, unless they've really. And the commercially available ones don't taste horrible. They don't taste horrible day one, minute one, yep. but you know, minute 17,000, day 13, <laughs> I think you're over it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, They're very but, sweet. But they're very effective. Uh -huh. And, you know, when I'm seeing those patients with like the crazy high methane, yep. I'm going to be like, we should start an elemental diet. Mm -hmm. Here's the bummer. The bummer is elemental diet does not always work the first time. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to get buy-in. Yep. They usually will get some improvements after the first course, but they're not necessarily done. Mm -hmm. I always, always, always worry about orthorexia and eating disorder yeah. stuff. Sure. And so that's a big screening thing to look at. And if people are already underweight for whatever reason, they are going to lose weight. Even though it's calorically dead, it's 160. Yeah. You can eat as much of it as you want, but compliance again. And do you think weight. about it with methane um, or hydrogen predominant or when uh, are you thinking about it? I will, if the methane is really high, sure. I'm going to start there. And with hydrogen, I'll think about it there too. Yeah. I, for me, it's like if methane is 90 and above, right. it's usually when I'm trying to convince people to do it. Cause it ends up being cheaper and way faster than doing multiple rounds yeah. of herbal or antibiotic. I think I'll even start at 70 or above. Yeah. And can you just talk a bit about, um, my, so my understanding is that those sugars that are in there absorb so proximally that they're not, that you're start, you know, kind of starving out. Nothing after. to break down. Okay. So, and you know, the, the elemental diet. You know, back in the 70s and 80s when we were treating inflammatory bowel disease, yeah, they have great... we had Elemental Diet, which was Vivanex, made by Nestle, which is on a good day, uh, tastes like vomit in your mouth, uh, on a good day. Um, we had steroids, and then we had uh, the immunosuppressants for 6MP, that took mm -hmm. three months to work. Those were your three interventions mm -hmm. for inflammatory bowel disease. So we've got data on Elemental Diets going way, 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 way back. Right. Um, 
so we we understand safety we understand efficacy they definitely taste better now yeah. like uh they definitely taste better now and there's like there's also now we have the elemental diets but they, we also have these semi-elemental diets mm-hmm. and if you look at the semi-elemental diet research they just show slightly less efficacy than the elemental diet exclusively so you know we've got a lot of options mm-hmm. also the other thing that elemental diet we use it for maintenance sometimes yeah so um that's a good option if they're willing to take it mm-hmm. uh, and if they have support. So I've, I've heard some people do elemental diet with adding in lean meats. What are your thoughts on that? I feel like I've also heard that and it seems interesting. I've never seen data on it. Right. I have enough patients who do it that seem to do okay. Yeah. But I, you know, we live in this because of the nature of the medicine we practice we can't always fall back on good data to sell us, yes, 70% of people are going to respond to this. Yeah. It's, we kind of lean on anecdotal and experimental information. Yeah. And some it does help some people tolerate it. Yeah. And would you, oh, sorry, go ahead, Rebecca. Um, I was going to say, I if I put people in elemental, I schedule them in for uh, multiple sessions of body work or acupuncture. Um, it just helps people get through it better and it helps with some of the symptoms. Um, and a quick shout out to Dr. Leela Altman. She has great lectures on troubleshooting uh, walking elemental diet through with your patients. That's great. Do, how What percentage of your patients do you think flare with that, given we know there's this... Um, concurrent CFO picture in probably at least 25% Great of patients. Question. That being said, I'm not sure that sugars absorbed that proximally would make CFO worse anyway. So so I think that depending on the formulation you're using, they can moderate the amount of carbohydrates that are in there okay. and they can change the carbohydrates that they're using. Okay. So I think it depends on formulation. I, if I have any suspicion of CFO for people or um, uh, yeast infections, thrush, anything like that, I am putting them on my statin during okay. elemental diet. And you know where I land on that, because this is the conversation I, I've been having for years where I'm like, okay, so you're giving them elemental diet, so that's taking down the bacteria, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're giving them nystatin, which is taking down the fungus. What's, what's left? Yeah. And what's going to come out yeah, of it? That's yep. true. So I, I, so I often do not... Unless they're like screaming fungus, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't use antifungals for the elemental diet. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't a, wouldn't a low FODMAP diet also be? I mean, doesn't that also no? Work okay, to that's some that is. Thank you. That is the best way. Thank you. That's super okay. important. The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. Let I me agree. just explain what the low FODMAP diet is. Okay. That is a diet to control for symptoms of fermentation. It is there is no antimicrobial properties to the FODMAP diet. There is no antifungal but properties. But it's not starving out distilled no. bacteria at all? No, no, because you're stopping the fiber from the other vegetables. Okay. No. it is Because I thought that was a big argument against staying on a low FODMAP is you're going to mess up your colon bacteria because you don't have the, the any any of the breakdown products. I think it's sufficient to disturb overall like homeostasis, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's sufficient to treat SIBO bugs. Right, not to treat it. I know right. it's not for treatment, so maybe yeah. that's why Alana got excited. Yeah, uh, I know it's not for treatment, but I wasn't <laughs> sure if it in some way was also as part of a protocol. I don't like uh, using that diet with people. I, I think it's very restrictive and I yeah. don't want to put I at some point decided I wasn't going to put patients on a diet that I didn't want to follow. I, I think that's what that I do think that's and I will say that um, it is excessively difficult to be successful at that diet. Yeah. I think it makes you so hyper aware yeah, of everything that problems. can probably will, will create further anxiety and eating, yep. eating disorder and yeah. mental emotional. I don't use it as much. Mm-hmm. I have moved more to using like 
you know, like a whole 30 or like yeah. either a grain free diet or like a vegetarian modified diet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that when it, when it's very difficult in this world to, so I don't know, I mentioned that I, I, I'm, I just finished reading this book, the way we eat now. Okay. And it talks about basically like how we've never had this many choices. Yeah. And because we have so many choices, people, the human race is responding by putting restrictions on themselves. Totally. I'm gluten-free. I'm dairy-free. Yeah. I'm lactose over vegetarian. I'm blah, blah, blah. I, I think that oftentimes if you can just remind people to stay away from processed garbage, mm -hmm. don't have your entire diet be grains. Right. You know what I mean? Like too much. You don't want too much starch, no. but I mean, just try to be reasonable. Right. Yeah. So the only time I'm using a low FODMAP or any sort of really restrictive diet is immediately after antimicrobial therapy. And that's just to prevent relapse, you know, um, I will, I will ask people at that time, what are your biggest food triggers? What are the things that really flared your bloating and SIBO? avoid those, you know, cause some people do just fine with grains. Yeah. Okay. Eat your greens. They're great fiber right, for forming right. stool. Um, some people do fine actually with onions and I'm like, that's awesome. If that's not triggering your symptoms, yeah. have at it. That didn't seem to be your problem. Right. Right. I know Dr. Some of the SIBO experts are really big on avoiding legumes yep. across the board, but we know from that specific carbohydrate diet, if you prepare them properly, some people seem to do fine on those as well. And that, that I will tell you, I speak so frequently to my patients about properly preparing a bean. Right. That yeah. I we have a protocol. Yeah. I don't think the problem is the bean. I think the problem is how we cook it. Right. Exactly. We don't do, like in India, you never would no. eat a bean that was like from a can no. that hadn't been soaked. So, so let me give you our, let me quickly give you our, my husband's protocol for bean preparation. I don't know why go, he came go, go. up with this, but it was probably for me at some point. So he, <laughs> okay, soaks the beans overnight. Typically it's black beans for a, a chili or something. The next morning, um, you get rid of that water and then you boil the beans. I think he calls it like a boil and dump. You boil the beans for a few minutes, you dump that water, then you pressure cook it. So you've got this extra sort of, and it doesn't take that long. I'm making it out to be a long process. Okay, I do that. But now, thanks to the family that lives with us, I sprout it as well. Oh, so wow. I soak it, and it doesn't take any time. Like that's right, the thing right. about it. Okay, I soak it okay. overnight. Okay, I dump it right, and then twice a day, and I will probably make like six pounds of beans in this huge bowl. Yeah, yeah. Twice a day, I put uh, you know warm water on it, throw that water out, and that takes two or three days. So that's like two minutes of work for the next two days okay and then after that i will bat i have three instant pots okay. in the house so then i will pressure cook all of it for like an hour don't you okay. add vinegar to it i will add vinegar to it yeah and then i'll also spice it like a black bean so i'll add cumin i'll yeah. add onions or garlic that's cooked uh, green peppers if right. i want to go cuban yeah. uh and so then i then i pressure cook all of them for like an hour hour 20. yep and then I will put them all in like peanut butter jars and just freeze them. Great. Wow. And then, so now I do, this, video. I do this once a quarter. I do this once a quarter, probably, you know, I might have nine people in my house. So we go through them a lot. Uh, but that way, if I have a day where I just do not want to, yeah, yeah. I pull a bean, like last night I was tired. I didn't yeah. sleep well. I pulled a jar of beans and we had burritos for Great. brilliant. That's brilliant. You know, the last thing I'll say is I was, when I was reviewing all the SIBO diets that are available, I've also been trying to study some Ayurvedic medicine. And it's just interesting that the diet that's recommended for patients with poor digestion <laughs> is very similar to the low fermentation diets, but yeah. they just, you know, they didn't make it super complicated. They were like, you, you minimize cruciferous vegetables. They're kind of hard to digest. You eat zucchini, you eat squashes, you know, like totally. it was just, it's just a much more, I think, practical, less anxiety forming way to just say, okay, this is based on your constitution, your, your 
digestive fire is kind of low. Let's see what we can do to like get things moving Help better. Yeah. And so it was just an interesting um, and comparison. I, I feel like part of what's gone wrong in the last 50 years mm-hmm. is we've lost all of our simple rules of eating right. around yeah. the whole world. Yes. But it's that like these simple rules of eating come from like thousands of years. Of right. We just have to kind of, and cause I mean, I'll have patients that say, this is what I ate yesterday and I had these symptoms. What do you think? And I came back to don't let, we shouldn't do weird things to food. They were eating like <laughs> chickpea, almond flour, pasta in some, you know, so it's just sometimes I'm like, okay, that's a weird food. You yeah, know, I, again, I have chickpea and a flaxus. I have a personal bias against chickpeas, but, <laughs> but our body, it's more confusing to our body. So yeah. like, you know, Michael Pollan says the closest to how it came out of the earth. Right. So our wait, body wait. knows how to handle it. I'm hearing that I should not be continuing to make my chickpea brownies. I mean, I have, again, I have a <laughs> personal really vendetta good? against the chickpea crop given it can kill me. I think if I didn't have that, you could play around with it, but eating a pasta that was made from some, how many steps was in that process? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm wondering, we've got a couple minutes left here. I'm wondering if we should touch on gut repair with SIBO. We don't need to go into details, but the role of that in SIBO treatment. I feel like we need more time. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to do a third episode. Do a different episode. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk there, about it That in is loaded and I have a lot of questions yes. about it. Okay. Yes. Let's do great. that. Um, and perhaps a little segment on prokinetics. Yeah. I think that, so we need that would to be great. I've Just got to, questions on that Because too. we were going to talk about some botanical prokinetics as well. Yep. Okay. So, okay. okay. Um, well, uh, who wants to recap? Rebecca, you want to recap? Sure. Okay. So um, this was a segment number two on SIBO and we learned all about treatments um, really just the first phase of treatment, which is eradicating the bacteria that's taken over your small intestine or archaea. Um, so I learned here, there is a multitude of, uh, herbal therapies that we can use depending on the person sitting in front of you. Um, generally pretty well tolerated, a little bit more cost-effective in, in some realms. We've got many antibiotic options and many more probably coming on the market. Um, the go-to is Rifaximin for just about everyone as the backbone of treatment. Uh, anything else people want to add? Oh, that's a diet. Oh, right. See, I'm blocking it out of my mind. Yes. <laughs> and we talked about the botanicals that yeah. are pretty well known. Yeah. The elemental diet, when to use it more so if they have really high methane, sometimes if they have hydrogen, yep. it's not a nice thing to do to a person. Yep. Watch for I some I feel yeast. like you almost have to be on a vacation in a really nice, like an extra week or two to do yeah. that. So the rest of your life is good. I feel like almost you're... the opposite. I feel like you should do it when you're really And then busy. go on vacation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, going to be, yeah, I feel like you should just, and then complain to everybody in sight. That's, uh, that always helps me. Oh, it's a rite of passage. Um, okay, guys, thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Yep. See you soon. Thanks for joining us today. Stay tuned. We release episodes every two weeks. If you like this episode, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review us to help spread the turd nerd word. Eee!